presidential office for? Five years. Uh, so the previous president was also Bill, so you can be forgiven if you're confused by that. Uh, we like this Bill better because he's the current Bill. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, I've really appreciated getting to know Bill over the years. Um, he'll tell a little bit about his story, I'm sure. Um, but for those Spanish speakers, I'm speaking to you, Monica and Yvette. Uh, he spent a lot of time in Peru as a missionary. And so uh, whenever I see him with other kind of Central and Southern American folk, uh, he sounds very unlike the Bill that I know. And that, that really thick uh, Latin accent comes out. So it's pretty cool. So let me just pray real quick for Bill as he, as he preaches. God, be with Bill. Thank you for him, for his, for his wisdom today that, that you have given him and, and help us to just learn and grow from you. We love you. Amen. A little bit of a height difference here. <laughs> <laughs> And it starts. Good morning, everyone. It is great to be with you here. We had a fantastic conference, and I, I'd like to come back every year. I know it's a lot of work, and it's a lot of travel, but it is great to be with a church that is growing, that is focused on the community, that loves Jesus, and just radiates that in all that you do. I can't count the number of volunteers that helped in some way and Donna and Susan and I were talking because they do all the planning for the conference. I'm just up here doing the, the promotional stuff. They do all the work. We commented on how little work we had to do when we came over here. We flew over the day before, overnighted in Calgary, decided we'd get out here really early in the morning because there's going to be lots of setup and lots of things to get ready and organize. And it was all done. So thank you for serving. And thank you for being part of the AGC. I say, and I'll say it again, the strength of the AGC it's not the number of churches we have. It's not the size of our churches and the, the huge buildings we have, but it's the people serving and reaching out in the community where God has placed you. And God has placed you here in Banff, Alberta for a reason. And you're being light and salt and a witness, and it's oozing out into the community, and we're going to see lives change through your ministry. So this morning, I want to talk about habits we think about good habits and bad habits, and most of us would be a, aware of the definition of a habit, a tendency or a usual manner of behavior. One author writing in Behavioral Psychology stated, it takes on average more than two months before a behavior becomes automatic. 66 days to be exact. Yes, they've done studies. 66 days before it becomes second nature. It just happens. You don't really think about it. We might think of a spiritual discipline as similar, albeit from a spiritual focus. One author said this, The Bible prescribes both personal and interpersonal spiritual disciplines. There are those spiritual disciplines that we practice alone, and those that we practice together in community as believers. We can pray alone. That's a personal spiritual discipline. Every morning we get up, every evening, before meals, at times when we're anxious, we pray. It's second nature. It's a habit. But we also come together as a congregation and we pray. We bring before the Lord the needs of our community, the sick, the hurting, those that need His touch. Spiritual disciplines are things that we do. It's not character-related. They're not graces. It's not fruit of the Spirit. It's how we behave. 
It's how we see and react to those around us. And so this morning, I want to dive into the habit of being a witness. And I want to look at an unusual passage for this theme. As we begin to think about the habit of witness, we might naturally think to that, yeah, he's going to go to that passage of the Great Commission. As you go out into all the world, make disciples. It's a good passage, but we're not going to go there. What about Acts 1.8? That's another good passage. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. But we're not going to go there either. And there's many more passages we could look at. The interesting thing is the number of passages that deal with the habit of a witness give us some indication of the importance of being a witness in a natural, organic way. A natural part of who we are as followers of Jesus. And these are great passages, and they would make for great studies on the habit of being a witness. But I want to look at another passage this morning. So if you have your Bible or your phone, turn to Mark chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 1 to 20. It's a bit of a longer passage, but I think we need the context. We want to focus on verses 18 to 20, but we need the whole passage to understand the context and the setting. So if you have your Bibles or a phone, turn to Mark chapter 5 with me. I'm going to read verses 1 to 20. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, and when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tomb a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had been bound with shackles and chains But he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him, saying, Send us into the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. And the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in all the city and the surrounding country. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might come with him. But he did not permit it. But he said to him, Go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your word. May you guide us. May you move upon us, Lord, as we look at the habit of being a witness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
often the focus of this passage is the pigs. Running down the hill into the water, they go, God's power over demons. However, there's a couple of principles here I think we want to understand because it gives us perspective on this focus of being a witness. So we're going to start with the setting in verses 1 to 17. It's a bit of a long part of this passage. But here we're going to see Jesus, a wild man, a wild encounter, and some pigs. But before we get to the heart of the matter of being a witness... We want to set the stage, as it were. We want to get the the bigger context. So Jesus was probably in Capernaum, northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, and by boat he goes to the east side. We have to understand that the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River was largely a Gentile region, a Gentile population. And he's intentional about going. There's no other reason for Jesus to go to the other side apart from having to meet the man who lived among the tombs. And so Mark chapter 5, verse chapter 1 tells us that when he immediately got there, and that's an important word, when he immediately got there, the man was there. He saw the boat. It's coming closer. He's living in the tombs. There's no one else around. He sees this boat, and it's getting closer. And he was there. He was waiting. And verse 2 tells us this was no ordinary man. He had been driven out of his community. He wasn't allowed to live there. He lived in the local cemetery. He wasn't welcomed in his own village. Luke's account of this event in Luke chapter 8 tells us that he was naked, wore no clothes, and lived like an animal. He had been possessed for a long time. No one could bind him, not even with a chain. He had some supernatural demonic strength because of the demons that possessed him. And he did harm to himself and to others. He'd been in therapy for a long time, been bound with chains and shackles. No one was able to subdue him. He was eventually deemed uncontrollable, told to leave town, get out of town. He couldn't live with normal people. He was dangerous, violent, and out of control. And verse 5 tells us his life was about as miserable as life could get. He lived among the rotting, decaying corpses in a cemetery. He was out of his mind, weeping, crying, cutting himself with stones, self-harming. There was no one left to harm except himself, and he was utterly alone and utterly without hope. The townspeople knew who he was. Perhaps at one time he had family, he had friends, he had community, he belonged, but now he was alone and in torment. And that's when Jesus showed up. Verse 6 tells us, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. We don't know if it's the man himself or the demons who were controlling him at this point. Had they heard about Jesus? Was it the demons that recognized who Jesus was and they feared? Therefore, they sought some power encounter, some sort of demonstration of who they were. What we do know is that the demons did recognize who Jesus was because they addressed him correctly in verse 7. What have you to do with me? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, I adjure you by God, do not torment me. The demons were tormented, fearful as they feared what Jesus would do. Would he cast them into the outer darkness? Because verse 8 says, he was saying to them, 
Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And it's difficult to interpret the conversation at this point. Is it the man speaking or is it the demon speaking in unison, but as a singular entity? It's hard to know. But one thing we do know is that Jesus had complete control of the situation. He had complete control over the demons. This was not some Hollywood movie with some priest struggling with the powers of darkness. Jesus was in control. And he asked them in verse 9, what is your name? He's speaking to the demons. And the demon responds, my name is Legion, for we're many. They use a Roman military term, a legion, five to 6,000 men. The demon was saying here was that we are many, we are powerful. Aren't you afraid of us? They were trying to intimidate Jesus, push him into some kind of fear. Maybe he would back off. Maybe he would leave. But Jesus wasn't afraid. He simply says, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus was in control. Now, you're probably wondering at this point, what does this have to do with the habit of being a witness? Now, hold on. We need to set the stage a little more, and we still need to get to the pigs, but we'll get there. There's immediate compliance here. The demons are commanded to leave, and they do. There's no debate. There's no fight. There's no resistance. Demonic spirits have no resistance to God's power. There's no wrestling, no struggle. Jesus commands, they obey. For a time they have a reprieve from their eternal torment. They haven't been judged fully yet. And there's some desire to possess some living entity, it would seem, like the demon-possessed man that torments others, self-inflicts harm to himself. And so the demons see this herd of pigs, and they ask permission, send us into the pigs. And Jesus allows it. Interesting, they cannot go by themselves. They ask Jesus' permission, and he has to give them that permission. He's in control. Verse 13 tells us there was about 2,000 pigs. They run violently down the hill into the sea, and they all drown. Satan's plan all along, isn't it? Misery, torment, suffering, destruction, and death. In opposition to God's love, mercy, and life. And after this wild encounter with the demon and the destruction of the pigs, the situation calms down a bit. The herdsmen of the pigs, they've all fled. They've seen this. They're afraid. They left. The pigs are dead. The demons are gone. It's just Jesus and the man in this quiet moment. The herdsmen went and fled back into the villages and surrounding area, telling everybody what had happened. Remember, a herd of 2,000 pigs is a lot of pigs. There was a lot of herdsmen. Verse 14 tells us that the people in the towns and the villages, they now come out to see what had happened for themselves. They heard what had happened. Now they wanted to come and see for themselves. And that's a bit of a long introduction to where I really want to get this morning in understanding the practice and the habit of being a witness. But I think it's necessary that we understand this background and we understand the full context so we understand the habit of being a witness. Let me read verses 15 to 20 again, because this is where I really want to focus this morning. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. 
And they began to beg Jesus to depart from the region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Too often the idea of being a witness or even witnessing to others is some fearful activity, some programmed activity not done very well and something to be avoided if at all possible. When I first came to the Lord, my church, the church I was going to at that time, they had Saturday witnessing, door-to-door witnessing. And as a new Christian, I thought I should go. But it was programmed and I was terrified. Got a handful of tracks and we'd start knocking on doors. Can I tell you about Jesus? That didn't yield a lot of results. Got a lot of doors slammed in our faces. I think being a witness has to be organic and natural and a habit that just flows out of who we are. We need to be a witness and we need to move from an activity or a program. And when we do that, I think the results will be a little different. There's three principles I want to share with you that give us a picture of what the habit of being a witness looks like and could look like in your life. And they come from verses 15 to 20 in this encounter between Jesus, a demon-possessed man, and a bunch of pigs. And it begins in verse 15 with a changed life. Look at verse 15 again. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, now mark this, the one who had a legion, sitting there, clothed, in his right mind, and they were afraid. Look at the dramatic change in this man's life. The people knew him as the crazy man in the cemetery, the one to be avoided. He was wild and dangerous, out of control. But something has changed now. He was sitting. He was calm, no longer longer running wild through the tombs, howling and cutting himself. He was clothed. For the first time in many years, he was wearing clothes, not running naked, not living like an animal. And he was in his right mind. He was no longer demon-possessed under the control of the demons. To be in your right mind is to come to your senses, to have a conscience and the ability to reason, to think clearly, something the demon-possessed man had not been able to do for a long time. I think we get the same picture of being in your right mind or coming to your senses. In the Gospels in Luke chapter 15, in that encounter with the prodigal son, living in wild debauchery, parties and women, and just squandering the inheritance that he had begged his father for. When it was all gone and he had nothing left and he was contemplating eating corn cobs that the pigs were eating, it says he came to himself. He came to his right mind. He came back to his senses and he remembered his father. What his father had done. And he began that journey back to forgiveness, repentance, acceptance, and restoration. The demon-possessed man, once wild and living among the tombs, was now sitting calmly, clothed and in his right mind. His was a life transformed. The people came to check out the story of the pigs, probably with some apprehension. They certainly didn't want to run into the crazy man. But there he was, changed, sitting, clothed, in his right mind. And verse 15 tells us when they saw him transformed, 
They were afraid. Better said, they were perplexed. They didn't understand what had happened. The man did nothing in and of himself to cause this change. It was Jesus. It was all Jesus. And in the same way, you and I are transformed. Saved by grace through faith. Not of anything that we could have done. He has healed us. He has forgiven us. He has saved us. He has transformed us. That's where the habit of witness begins. With a transformed life. You cannot be a witness if you have not experienced a life-transforming encounter with Jesus. This is where it begins. This is the ultimate come-to-Jesus moment. When you recognize your need of Him, and you come. The habit of witness begins with a changed life. Secondly, it happens right where you are, with family, friends, and community. Look again at verse 18. And as he, Jesus, was getting into the boat to go back to the other side, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. After this life-transforming miracle in his life, he wants to follow Jesus. What else could he do? A changed heart led to a changed desire to be with Jesus. Many followed Jesus. Jesus called others to come to him, to be part of the movement, to participate in the work of the gospel. In the encounter with the rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10, Jesus said to the young man, you lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. Come and follow me. Be one of my disciples. He's, he's inviting him. There it is, that personal invitation. Come and follow. Be part of what Jesus was doing. But sadly, the young man's heart had not been transformed, had not been changed. He sought the answer to the right question, but he didn't like the answer that he heard. Because Mark 10, tells us, disheartened by this saying, what Jesus told him, he went away sorrowful because he had many possessions. He rejected what Jesus was offering him. And in contrast, the demon-possessed man had no family, no possessions, no job, no standing in the community. The only desire he had was to be with Jesus. We can almost imagine Jesus smiling, loving the man. As they're getting in the boat, he says, Come on in, Peter, Andrew, scooch down. Make some room for our new brother. But that's not what he says. Look at verse 19. Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them, be a witness, how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. There it is. The habit of witness begins right where you are. Your family, your friends, the community where he has placed you. Can you imagine the man walking down the main street of his village for that first time? The stares, the gawking, the chatter. Hey, is it that? Yeah, you know, yeah, that's him. What happened? Fear when they see him coming. Perplexity when they see him calm, clothed in his right mind. He's no longer crazy. What happened? And finally, somebody brave enough approaches him and they said, Bob, Bob, is that you? I'm sure his name was Bob. Is that you? He says, yeah, it's me. And they say, what happened? He said, I met this guy, Jesus. I met this guy, Jesus. 
being a witness is not arriving at some super spiritual level of biblical knowledge, able to discuss all points of deeper theology and explain the superfluity of naughtiness, as the old King James says. It's just being able to tell others what Jesus did for you. Living that out every day, right where you are, with your family, your friends, and the community where he has placed you. The third thing we see here is that when we do that, there will be results. Look at verse 20. And he went away, back home. He began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. You follow the pattern here? The man is transformed, has a desire to follow Jesus. Jesus tells him to start right where you are, your family, your friends, your community. He obeys, and there's results. They marveled. When Jesus commissioned him, he obeyed. As hard as that was to go back home, to proclaim his story, he didn't understand all the Jewish prophecies of the Old Testament, the coming Messiah. He was most likely a Gentile. He knew that Jesus had radically changed his life, and he started telling others, It does take some courage. He had to go back to the place of his greatest failures, his greatest embarrassment, the shame, the failed therapies of chaining him up and binding him and trying to control him. Perhaps he was abandoned by family and friends, run out of town. He had to get over that. He was a changed man now. And verse, tells us, verse 20 tells us that he proclaimed in the Decapolis, that area of 10 cities to the northeast and south of the Jordan River, Gentile communities largely. That area today would be the Golan Heights in Israel, northwest Jordan in Syria. And if you were to take a trip to Israel today, most trips will visit one of those cities, Bet Shean, and you can see the ruins of that city, part of the Decapolis, those 10 cities. And the man went beyond his own village, and in all he did in his travels and whatever he did, he oozed out Jesus. He was a witness through the habit of being a witness. He probably wasn't preaching on a soapbox in the corner. He probably didn't go into the synagogues or churches or any other religious gathering, but he just lived out his life sharing what Jesus had done for him. And verse 20 again tells us, everyone marveled. They took note, they listened, they responded. And I'm wondering if at some point in the future, when the Lord calls me into his presence, I'm going to be sitting there talking with someone, and I'm going to say, how did you get here? And they're going to say, you know, I lived in one of the capitalist cities. There was this crazy demon-possessed guy, but then he was changed, and and he he told me about Jesus, and and I thought, I better check him out, and so here I am. And it was such a stirring story that, that I also wanted to follow Jesus. That's a bit of an apocryphal story. But you know, each of us have that same story. I am going to be in the Lord's presence one day. And somebody's going to say to me, Bill, how did you get here? And I'm going to say, you know, I had this crazy high school teacher, public high school in Ontario. He was one of those religious fanatics, carried a Bible, talked about Jesus, but loved us. And I thought, 
I better check this Jesus out. And I did. And he transformed my life. And here I am. And each one of us today, here this morning, has that same story. The details are a little different. But it's a story of transformation. It's a story of understanding our need of Jesus, responding, coming to him, and then sharing with others in a natural way what Jesus did for you. Whether that be honesty in our business dealings when we're able to cook the books or find the loopholes to not pay the taxes we should. Whether it's respecting and valuing other people. Whether it's looking at people in the way God sees them, the way Jesus sees them. All of that, the way we live our life, the hope that we have in the midst of uncertainty. How could we go through COVID as believers and still have joy? The same way Paul could sit in a Roman prison at midnight and sing hymns because our joy is not based on the circumstances in which we find ourselves. It's based on Jesus and he's transformed our life and we just ooze out that joy, that hope that others see in us. It's interesting about this passage to note that from the biblical record, there's no other reason Jesus needed to get in a boat and go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee except to meet this one man, this demon-possessed man, living among the tombs, run out of town. It was a Gentile region. He didn't need to go there. But I think Jesus needed to go there in the same way John 4, 4 tells us he needed to pass through Samaria because there was a broken, hurting woman at a well that needed healing. She didn't need physical water. She needed the spiritual water, the eternal life that Jesus offered her. Everybody knows that Jews and Samaritans don't get along. You take the long way around. You don't go through Samaria. But Jesus needed to go. He needed to pass over to the other side of the lake. He needed that encounter with that one individual because it was for that one individual for whom he died. It was for that lady at the well for whom he died. It was each of us for whom he died. He needed to go to the other side of the sea. Being a witness begins with a transformed life. It's that ultimate come to Jesus moment when you recognize, I can't do this on my own. I need Jesus, and he doesn't require anything of me except to come with what I have, broken, hurting, and he accepts that. He heals and restores us. It happens right where you are with your family, your friends, your community. And when we do that, there will be results. Not because of what we do or say, but because of what Jesus did and through the power of the Holy Spirit to convict people, to draw them to himself as he uses you and I as his instruments. So my encouragement to you this morning, live out the habit of being a witness. It's not about theology. It's not about being able to explain the the deeper aspects of different Old Testament or New Testament books. It's just about telling others what Jesus did for you. If I was to poll each of us here, I would almost bet. I'm not a betting man. I'm the son of a Scot married to the daughter of a Dutchman, so I'm pretty tight with the funds, but... If I was a betting man, I would bet most of you are here today because somebody told you about Jesus rather than you decided to go to church and hear a pastor preach and came to the front and accepted Jesus. Am I right? 
Studies have shown most of us come to know Jesus when a family member or a friend or a colleague at work or a friend at school shared about what Jesus did for them. And it piqued some curiosity. Maybe it, yeah, I'm, I'm hurting. I've got that hole that I'm not being able to fill. It's not about material things. It's not about what I have. It's not about pleasures. It's, it, it's still empty. And Jesus fills that hole. But it takes you and I to just tell them, what did Jesus do for you? And allow the Holy Spirit then to work in their lives. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this encounter with a wild, demon-possessed man and a bunch of pigs that led to a transformed life, a habit of witness that resulted in many seeing something different that they've not seen before. And I pray for each of us here this morning, Lord, that we too would develop that habit of witness and give us much wisdom, Lord, to just share how you have changed our life that others may come to know you, that their life may be transformed, healed and restored. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks very much, Bill.